Welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the senior pastor here at Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon, between Redmond, Oregon and Prineville. <clears throat> Clear, beautiful morning today. <clears throat> it is the Lord's Day. I have uh, been busy all this week, so I was not able to get to the podcast until this morning. But uh, I'm excited because this is the time that we are beginning a new series for the next couple months on the Psalms. Um, and I, I've entitled it Good, uh, Singing or Praising Through the Psalms. You know, sometimes I think when we uh, come to church, we think that we have to leave our stories outside the door, you know, like we, we have to put it out there in some kind of box. Sometimes I, I think people come into this, the assembly of God, we try to separate ourselves from the things that distract us or have in, in, overpowered us all week. And yet, I don't think that that's being true to what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Yeah, there are times when following Jesus makes you feel on top of the world. You experience a season of blessing, and it's, it's all good. But those times can make you feel like the times when things aren't going well. Well, those are the times that you have to be quiet about. You, you, you have to... Uh, keep those outside of the church. Have you ever thought that maybe it's exactly those times where God actually is beckoning you, drawing you, calling you to come into his presence, into the assembly, to bring those thoughts with you, to bring them to his feet? Maybe he invites you to come in with all of those things that are weighing heavy on your heart and occupying your mind, and instead of just leaving them at the door, that you actually bring them and put them at his feet. Because here's the truth that we read of in Scripture— be it good times or bad, God invites you to share your heart with him. The Psalms that we find in Scripture are intended to bring power into our lives during the seasons of our life. You, you read through the Psalms, you'll find different kinds of meditations, different sounding songs. And this is because I believe that there are different kinds of seasons, different uh, varieties of season that we all go through. And through those seasons, we find that the people of God, the people who have lived a dynamic relationship with God, who, who they have learned to lean into God in both good times and in bad. And so in that leaning in, they find what they need in the stories of their lives. Now, I've never preached through a series on the Psalms, but God laid it on my heart recently. See, I love to sing, and, and God began to bring some of, into my heart some of the campfire songs that I had learned 30, 40 years ago, uh, songs that come directly from Scripture. Songs that we would sing around the campfire at, at camp, summer camp, or in children's church. These are songs that I memorized because songs are easy to memorize. And in doing so, as I memorized those songs, those songs, I actually was memorizing scriptures. Because those songs, a lot of them came mostly from the Psalms. And, and I never realized until recently how powerful that could be. So one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is that they actually find us in our seasons of life. They give us language to express what is sometimes hard for us to express on our own. We don't always know what to say, but we know what we're feeling. We know that at least we're feeling things. And so when I read through the Psalms, I, I see words that kind of connect with my thoughts, words that might actually explain my feelings. And strangely enough, it's not just for the good times I'm actually allowed at times as I read through the Psalms to wallow in a certain place for a, for a bit. But then as I meditate on what the psalmist has expressed, I find that that psalm that is expressing what I want to express, it gets underneath me and it begins to lift me. Remember, 
for example, when we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus, he quoted there on the cross, Psalm 22. It begins with this heart-wrenching cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That allows for that kind of honest question, by the way. God allows that kind of honest question. And yet, and yet Psalm 22 continues, and the psalmist ends up coming back to the understanding that even though it feels like God has forsaken him, he states emphatically that God hasn't forsaken him, despite what it feels like. And, And then to know that God wasn't offended when the psalmist wrote those words. God wasn't offended. Jesus God wasn't offended when Jesus quotes those words on the cross. Can you see how freeing that can be to actually be able to express yourself through the Psalms? Uh, Telling God what you're feeling and and knowing that it's going to be okay. See, the Psalms are about praise above and beyond all else. We can praise through the Psalms in all seasons of our life. Now, there's a pastor in... uh, Indiana, at the College Wesleyan Church in Indiana, a guy named Steve Deneff, he says that if Psalms were like a fireworks show and every word praise that is contained in the Psalms, if each word was like a firework bursting in the air, then as you read the whole collection of the Psalms, it would be like your typical Fourth of July fireworks show. Early on, you, you begin to see praise God, praise God scattered here and there. But as you continue to move towards Psalm 150, to the end of the collection of Psalms, you, you begin hearing this theme of praise again and again and again and again, almost like the end of a fireworks show where, you, you know, the guys that are lighting them off say, man, we've got about a thousand of these left. Let's just go ahead and blow them all in rapid succession for this huge ending. And, and the sky erupts in full color and sound. That's like the Psalms. The Psalms end in, in full of praise. In fact, the 250 or so times in the collection of Psalms that the word praise or its equivalent is mentioned, 50 out of those 250 occur in just the last five Psalms. And 13 of those 50 are found in the very last Psalm itself. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Boom, 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 boom. Praise him, praise him. Now, some look to that and they mistakenly think that God must really be insecure because he demands that his people praise him. Uh, they, they think, man, God, if God doesn't get his attaboys, he's going to lose his confidence. What a weak God we must have. Or people mistakenly think that God, like a human, is incredibly conceited, wants everybody to focus on him only all the time. See, they, they know that if a person wanted that kind of praise, they'd be called an egomaniac. And so they, they transfer that egomania to God as well. They, they don't realize that actually God is the one that actually deserves that kind of praise. But both of those ideas about praise come from a distorted idea about the nature of God, the character of God. The, the people who are mistaken, they're not able to discern that praise in the Bible, in the Psalms, actually is not necessarily a command. It's an invitation. Because God knows that as he brings us close to him, we will have this natural response. Praise is this natural response that we experience when we come into contact with the character of God. And praise is actually giving credit to whom credit is due. So like issues like generous living, as we looked about looked at before, it's when we talk about this, when we study this, it's much more about our benefit 
than it is about God's benefit. God doesn't need our money, but we talk about uh, being generous because it's for our benefit, not for his. Praise is the same way. He doesn't need our praise, but we need to give him our praise. And so what this leads me to believe is that God has designed it so that when I praise, no matter what situation I'm in, when I praise, I will grow. I will learn. I will become humble. And I will draw nearer to him. Now, life is like what Charles Dickens uh, began his great work, A Tale of Two Cities. Life is like that because it's a dual package. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? Now, Dickens is not talking about two different ages in time. He's describing the same age. He goes on to say it was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had all things before us. We had nothing before us. You know, Dickens kind of tapped into a reality that you may never have considered. That the best of times often are also the worst of times. The times that you feel like a genius is often the very moment you realize how foolish you've been. And it all happens at the same time, good and bad. That's how life works. In the 1940s, there was a German pastor by the name of Klaus Westermann. He had been arrested, put inside of a Nazi concentration camp because he was part of the Confessing Church movement. Uh, The Confessing Church were, were the churches in Germany that would not bow to the Nazi regime. So while Pastor Klaus was now in prison, he began to read the Psalms. But now, because he had a lot of time, he read them through slowly and carefully. And he saw that you could actually put the Psalms into two categories. There are Psalms of praise in good times and Psalms of praise or lament in bad times. There were Psalms for the best times. There were Psalms for the worst of times. And what's more, he found out that you sometimes would actually find the best of times and worst of times within the same psalm, kind of like Psalm 22. He found a pattern. He found that in the collection of psalms, they are collected in such a way that the psalms that are heavy on praise, first of all, give us an action to do, an appropriate action. Extol the Lord, lift up his name, sing praises. But then every time that we received an action, there's an immediately following a reason why that we should engage in praise. Psalm 100 is the first psalm I wanted us to look at today. And in this psalm, there's a great example. Let let, let me read it. This is in the English Standard Version. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Now, you just take a quick glance at that psalm. You see some words jumping out of the page. Um, Maybe your version said shout. Mine says make a joyful noise, Um, worship or um, uh, serve the Lord. Come into his presence. You know, you see those things. But why? Well, follows up because he made us. We belong to him. We're the sheep of his pasture. So that's why we draw near to him. That's why we make noise. That's why we uh, serve him, assign worth to him. You, You see, there's a response that we are invited into. 
a response to who he is in relationship to us, to what he has done in our past, what he continues to do for us in our present, and what we can rely on for him to do for us in the future. So we're not praising to butter God up. We praise him because, well, we recognize that God has shown us something about himself that we needed to see. We, we see the, that in the last two verses. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, we're told to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, verse 4, and his courts with praise, and to give him thanks. Why? Why? Again, because his love endures forever. Now, that word love, oh, man, such an amazing word in the Hebrew. Um. By the way, we're going to look at that next week, that Hebrew concept of love. See, whenever God chooses to move towards somebody with favor in Scripture, it was said to be uh, this incredible kind of love. And no matter what that person went through, God's love was their sustaining force. So you could live in both extremes. You could be blessed like Abraham, or you can be in a pit and in a prison like Joseph. But God's love sustained them both. You could be in a season of lament where you question God, why are you doing this? This doesn't seem to be going anywhere good. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 12, we see throughout chapter 12, a brutally honest conversation that Jeremiah has with God. Jeremiah says, God, there's no question about your righteousness, but I've got a problem here about your justice. So Jeremiah unloads on God. And he wonders why good people suffer and bad people thrive. By the way, this is exactly what the psalmist Asaph wondered as well. It's what Job asked. But I love God's answer to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, you've raced with men. They wore you out. So how are you going to run with horses? In other words, listen, Jeremiah, if you can't manage when the ground is level, what are you going to do when the road gets rocky? Now, we could have a whole sermon on that. But the point is this, is Jeremiah has an argument with God. And by the way, it's not resolved right right away either. It's not resolved right there in chapter 12. Too often I think that we feel like if we do go to God with a question, any answer that we receive should bring immediate satisfaction to our struggle. But that's not the point of relationships, is it? If you can't have hard conversations, something, by the way, that I was reminded of in my own marriage recently, if you cannot be frank and have difficult conversations, then you haven't come to a point where you actually know that you're loved with an enduring love that never changes. See, you and I are invited into God's presence in the bad times. We can be just as vocal in the low times as in the high times. And sometimes we might even contradict ourselves at times. We waver, but God's love endures forever. That's the whole point of Psalm 100. Again, anytime you're in a relationship that you can't say something bad, bluntly, there's something wrong. If at any point of your spiritual growth, you have a spiritual leader that tells you that it's wrong to question God, to bring your honest questions to God, you need to rethink having that person as your spiritual leader. I, I think... My, my guess, my suspicion is that a lot of the deconstructing believers out there today who are walking away from their faith, walking away from the church, they're doing so because at some point of their life, they had questions. They went to their spiritual leaders. 
but the leadership told them don't ask questions because somehow they felt threatened by those questions. I hope to be the kind of pastor that if somebody comes to me with a hard question about God, that I would have enough confidence to understand that your beef is with God, not me. Okay. Like if I preach something and you come to me and say, mm, I'm, I'm not sure I, I get that. Well, I, I know that you're not having a beef with me. You're having a beef with God. So if I, I'm not going to feel threatened if you come to me asking why God would allow something to happen, like a, the death of a child. Yeah? You should ask God those questions. I encourage you, and in fact, whatever's happening to you that feels negative, whenever God feels unfair, or whenever he's calling you to do things that you feel like you can't do, I would encourage you to go to him and say to him the things that you're feeling in your deepest soul. That's not a sign of unbelief. It's not. Because you're at least going to the one that you've acknowledged is in control and can actually do something about the situation. Now, that's about the bad. But in the same vein, as much permission as we have been given to be eloquent in our psalms of lament, we can also be eloquent in our psalms of praise, which is easy for some people. But I know it's hard for some people. I'm looking at you men in particular. It's hard for some people to express praise. We might be having a great time, but we find it hard to put into words our excitement or our joy. It's hard for some people to say thank you, even. But if you were to look at what you do get excited about, you might come to agree that God actually created us with a tendency to praise. See, we praise things in various ways all the time, through our choices of entertainment and how we talk about the shows that we find funny or engaging, or, or we go to a sports event and we shout with enthusiasm for our team. Uh, we'll wear band names on our T-shirts. We'll talk with our friends about that one particular person that we find attractive, right? So we have this instinct built in to praise something. Uh, we just sometimes have a hard time acknowledging how we feel, to put it into words. We, we need to somehow get comfortable with finding the words to express how we feel about God, about the good times, about the good things that he's done. See, our praise will always stem from experiences and what we enjoy. In other words, you don't praise a movie that you have not seen. Nor do you praise a song that you don't like, that hasn't moved you in some way, right? But you experience something amazing. If you enjoy that experience, I guarantee you will be praising it. You will find the words to praise it to somebody. So it's surprising to me how seldom Christians actually um, do this when it comes to their experience with God. Uh, maybe it begins um, with just learning to say thank you, God, when you see something that God has done or has given to you. Maybe it means that you have to begin disciplining yourself to be thankful and to tell people what God has done in your life, to praise him in, in Bible study, in small group, for you to have as many praises as you do prayer requests. That, that's, that's the process of disciplining yourself to be thankful, even when it doesn't seem like there's much to be thankful for. So as you consider your worship life today, what story are you bringing into that worship? What season of life do you find yourself in right now? I'm praying that this series on the Psalms is going to give you a voice, give you a way to praise through the good times 
and to praise through the bad times. Because the one thing that Psalm 100 reminds us of is this. God is faithful. See, tough times will come and go. Times of celebration will come every once in a while and then not be there. But guess what? Our God is above all that. His faithfulness, as the psalmist declares, continues through all generations. So the reason that we study the Bible is to see the character of an all-powerful and ever-loving God. We see how he worked in the past. But, you know, he's not just in the past. He's not just the Alpha, the one that began everything. He's been faithful throughout history. And he is also known as the Omega, the very end, which means his faithfulness will continue until the very end. This means that our God is in all and through all. So by studying his character from the Bible, his character seen uh, in the past, we can have a confidence that he's going to continue to work in our lives right now in the same way, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you consider the factors that contribute to one being labeled unfaithful, if you're going to be talking about somebody who's unfaithful, you might get a list that includes a lack of interest or lack of commitment, lack of skill, lack of authority, lack of energy, lack of focus, lack of memory, lack of self-control. All of those could be things that you speak of to of somebody who is unfaithful. Unfaithfulness might be intentional, it might be unintentional, but whatever the reason, the result is the same. Someone didn't provide what they promised. So here's the great news for us. None of those factors, lack of interest, lack of commitment, lack of skill, lack of authority, lack of energy, lack of focus, lack of memory, lack of self-control, affect God. Because his divine love, his chesed, what we're going to look at next week, eternally commits himself to the objects of his love. His all-knowing, his omniscience, his, that, that enables him to know everything about everything at all times. And his all-power, his omnipotence, Uh, provides all the necessary energy and power to carry out his word. And the fact that he lives forever and has always been, that eliminates any limitation of time. His sovereignty gives him absolute authority. And and he's disciplined and he's focused and he, he never falters. He never forgets. He never forsakes. He never forfeits his word. He never fails. He is faithful, absolutely faithful. It is his character. He doesn't change. He must be faithful. He could be nothing else. And so we enter in through his gates. We enter in here giving him praise. We come before him. We bring our song because we are his people and he is our God. There's a Chris Tomlin song on Love Ran Red that I would recommend you listening to during this series on the Psalms. For the Lord is good and his love endures. His love endures. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. I want to thank my executive producer, Lisa Welly, for getting this up on the platforms, even when I um, am late in getting her my podcast. Thank you, Steve uh, Pittman, for being our tech guru. And uh, thank God for giving us his word. We'll see you next week uh, when we look at Psalm 126. God bless you.